Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the Mythgard Academy. This is session number 22 of Inferno, and we are seriously narrowing in on the end now. We are headed down towards the ninth circle. Not 100% sure we'll get to the ninth circle tonight. Uh, we may be finishing up uh, the end of the Malabolgia, but we'll certainly get to the end of the Malabolgia here tonight. Um, and possibly as far as at least the transition into the ninth circle. Uh, so we're, um, yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're getting there. I think we've got after tonight, probably two sessions left. Uh, so, uh, so that's, and Steve and I agree. We'll get to the ninth circle when hell freezes over. That seems perfectly true. Um, okay. So, uh, two quick announcements though, before we, finish up the Malabolgia here this evening. Uh, first, I just want to let everybody know that, uh, in case you haven't noticed or heard already, that the registration forms have been finally updated for Mythmoot, uh, so you can now register for the full in-person Mythmoot experience. You can also register for the full digital experience um, or the partial digital experience. All three are now available uh, and upgrades as well. So that will be... Um, uh, that will be happening soon. Uh, that will be um, uh, 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 I'm looking forward to Mythmoot. It's going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to seeing folks again. And you can now register. There was a little bit of a delay uh, because we were kind of waiting uh, for the venue to confirm some things. They finally got through. So we're, uh, we're able to confirm all that kind of stuff. So uh, Jocelyn, do you need to register for Mythmoot again if you already signed up? No, though, if you signed up digitally and you want to come in person, there will be like an upgrade thing that has to happen there. But if you signed up digitally and you're going to come digitally, you're all good. No problems at all. Um, so, yeah, you can either um, enroll in any of the registration levels from scratch or you can you can upgrade. I, I'm pretty sure it's all there. So um, that's the first thing I wanted to announce. Uh, the second thing uh, that I wanted to announce is... Um, uh, we have some new, um, some new designs, uh, in our, uh, Signum store. One in particular that is, uh, Mythgard Academy inspired, uh, at the sort of the, several people had been requesting a, um, um, a bookworm, uh, design, uh, that is, you know, with a YWRM, uh, with the horde of books. And so uh, uh, our designers uh, got into this uh, and kind of reconfigured, uh, sort of inspired by the Mythgard logo with the tree and the stars and the mountains in the background, turning the mountains into the books that we've read together uh, and everything. So anyway, that's... Um, uh, uh, I really like the new design. There are a bunch of new designs, some uh, uh, Star Trek inspired designs as well uh, from our new uh, uh, from uh, inspired by our new Star Trek course that's coming up this uh, uh, this summer. So lots of fun things. Check out the Signum store uh, on Redbubble. It's a lot of fun. All right. Um, so let us get back uh, into things here this evening. Um, so. We've been looking at, we've, we've been playing a lot of the Guess the Sin game here in the second half of the Malabolgia, um, and even more trying to look at the bigger picture. It's interesting because on the one hand, we have like more data points, right, for the Malabolgia for, for fraud than we have for any other sin that uh, we've been looking at. And yet, in some ways, I've been finding that make it more difficult rather than less. Um, 
uh, it's been a little bit uh, hard. I mean, one of the things that it has been really noticeable about the, 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 the trends, which, of course, makes sense, right? When you think about sort of the trends of punishment, there's been a lot of shifting and malleable forms, right? Not just the obvious transformation stuff with all the snakes, but um, the way that people's bodies have been twisted uh, that uh, uh, people's forms have been changed in different ways. That's not been everywhere uh, across, but even the way in which, um, you know, I think like with the pitchforks uh, and the, um, uh, uh, you know, the, the hooks and the pitch uh, that the grafters were in and the way that their flesh was getting ripped off and things like that. Um, uh, so anyway, that's, um, uh, that is uh, uh one interesting trend, but let's look at the end of it. So we, we started the last pouch where we went down and the first thing you may remember, so we had the amazing sights, right? And he was talking about how, you know, he couldn't believe his eyes and, uh, and he didn't expect you to believe his eyes either. Um, when he was describing all the gore, right in the ninth pouch, all the wounds and the people being split down the middle, um, all of the schismatics, right? The civil war causers, it looks like primarily, um, and then you have the final pouch where it was first his smell that was affronted, well, more than affronted, assaulted, right, um, that he was chiefly describing. And then he descends down and there's people with hideous skin complaints, right? We've got the scabs and the scratching that we were ending with last time, um, just in time to give us all lovely dreams uh, at the end of last session. Um, and I don't think we found out yet what those folks had done. So let's, let's jump back into that. So that your memory may never fade within the first world from the minds of men, but still live on and under many suns. Do tell me who you are and from what city, and do not let your vile and filthy torment make you afraid to let me know your names. So this is how Dante's interviewing folks now, right? He's now freely offering this as a kind of bribe, right? So that your memory may never fade within the first world from the minds of men. Um, it's... It seems to me to be becoming more and more um, pronounced as they're going further and further down uh, into hell that he's now routinely. I mean, this kind of came up once or twice in the top half of hell. Right. But as he gets further and further down in the bottom, it's like it's like he's handing out, it's like he's handing out his business card. Right? Hi, I'm Dante. I'll help you be remembered in the world above. You know, if you just answer a few questions, this is for posterity, please. Um, um it's um, it's interesting, yeah. Um, okay. Anyway, well, let's uh, let's let's keep going. So let's let's see what the answer is. One answered me. My city was Arezzo, and Albero of 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 uh, uh, Siena had me burned. But what I died for does not bring me here. It's true that I had told him jestingly I'd know enough to fly through air, and he, with curiosity but little sense, wished me to show that art to him, and, just because I had not made him Daedalus, had one who held him as a son burn me. But Minos, who cannot mistake, condemned my spirit to the final pouch of ten for alchemy I practiced in the world. Okay, so let's start with the actual act. Right. Minos. 
Minos doesn't make any mistakes, right? Minos sent him here, and yet, Tony, you're right. There are a lot of Italians in hell, right? I mean, it's like everybody he meets is from is from Italy. Um, uh, presumably, there are people from other nations in hell as well. But uh, but um, but yes, yes, we do certainly meet a lot of Italians. Um, anyway, Minos, who doesn't make mistake, sent him down here because he practiced alchemy in the world. Alchemy. Okay, what's wrong with alchemy? Well, hang on. We'll, wait, we'll get the answer to this, well, sort of. Uh, one of the other sinners will point to the answer to that question uh, in the next... Um, in the next slide. We're here in the latter portions, the, 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 the last 40 lines or so of Canto 29 still here. Um, all right. <laughs> Serena, I wondered if you were here. I knew you'd be all over the alchemy thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we'll, 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 uh, uh, we'll, we'll get right back to that. But first, he has this speech, right? This speech is like, uh, what is it? Three, six, nine, twelve lines, right? It's a twelve-line speech. Um, a twelve-line speech, and he only mentions his actual sin in the final line, right? I mean, you could say the final three lines uh, um, are dedicated to finally getting around to saying what his actual sin was. But his first nine lines, right, 75% of his speech, is about this other thing that he did, the thing that got him killed, but he says from the very beginning, what I died for does not bring me here. Right? Um, But I'm going to spend most of my time telling you about that part. Right? So he tells Alvaro of Siena... I'd know enough to fly through air. You know, jestingly, he tells him that. And he, Albero, with curiosity but little sense, wished me to show that art to him. Flying. The flying art. And just because I had not made him Daedalus, had one who held him as a son burn me. Okay. Okay. Um... It's interesting because that thing that he says is not why he's here is also um, an act of fraud, right? I mean, he seems to have actually defrauded this person. Now, okay, if... It's, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming here when he says, because I had not made him Daedalus, you know, he had one who held him as a sunburn me. Um, I'm assuming that the dude, like, tried. or I mean, so I, he said jestingly I'd know enough to fly through the air. Okay, so he made sort of a joke, right? And then this guy took him seriously. Um, so other guy couldn't take jokes. So maker of bad jokes or... Uh, uh, maker of inappropriate jokes or jokes at inappropriate times did not get him down here. But why is he even... I don't understand. Um, because I had not made him Daedalus. Did you try to make him Daedalus? Did you, can, did you, did you tell him that you were joking? So I, 
I'm just trying to understand that. What's he even talking about? And more importantly, why is he talking about it, right? Because there, there are a couple reasons why this seems sort of conspicuous to me, right? Reason number one is that it sounds like an act of front. <laughs> Arthur, I was hoping you wouldn't feel self-conscious about that. No, I wasn't thinking of anybody present, you know, or anything. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, I... One thing that is conspicuous about this story is that it sounds like an act of fraud, right? I mean, it sounds like a classic act of fraud, right? That he conned this guy into thinking that he could make him daedalus, right? That he could he could make him fly, and then, you know, he didn't, or he couldn't. Um, and this guy all flew off the handle and had him killed, right? Um so, um, yeah, the, uh, uh, so yeah, Sarah's asking who was holding who as a son. Um, some unnamed person who held Albero of Siena as a son burned the speaker to death. Um, so Albero of Siena had him burned, right? Didn't burn him at the stake personally. Right. Um, but someone else had him burned at the stake at the behest of Albero of Siena. Somebody who held Albero of Siena as a son is uh, what he's um, what he's getting at. Um, OK. OK. So. So. It sounds doesn't it sound like he kind of com <laughs> committed an act of fraud there, which sort of might potentially be relevant to how he ended up in the circle of fraud. Now, I'm not saying that alchemy is irrelevant, right? I buy it. Um, but, um, but it's interesting. It seems for all that he begins by saying, this is not relevant. I'm just telling you this, right? I'm just telling you this, and I'm just going to spend 75% of my speech talking about it, but it's not like relevant or anything to where I've ended up. Seems weird when the, according to the story, it would in fact seem very relevant, right? Unless he's actually saying it was all a big misunderstanding, right? I just made a joke. The guy took me seriously, right? Then when I told him, dude, it was just a joke. Like, what do you expect me to make you deedless? Then he like had me burned at the stake, like big misunderstanding, right? You know, we can all laugh about it later, except we can't. Um, so maybe that's what he's saying. Maybe he's saying, that, yeah, no, I, I didn't do anything. I just made a joke. He took me seriously. But it sounds like an act of fraud happened, like some actual expectation of him delivering on this boast that he makes. I'd know enough to fly through air, right? Oh, yeah, I could do that. Yeah. Uh, wing making? No problem. No problem. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, um, yeah. Um, that's one thing that makes it conspicuous, that it seems more relevant than he seems to be letting on. The second thing, that makes it relevant is the Daedalus connection, right? Remember that he started off his descent at the beginning of his descent into the Malabolgia, into the Eighth Circle. When he was riding on the back of Jerion, he felt like Icarus, right? He compared himself explicitly to Icarus flying too high. Um, 
and then meets one who failed to be deadless, right? Who didn't fly at all, right? Um, uh, so again, like I'm not sure what to do with it, but it seems important, right? It seems interesting. Um, and yeah, Serena, I, I agree. I mean, it's obvious, like, there are some similarities between his, this claim and the claim, uh, the claims of alchemy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay. So let's go on to the next section and we'll, we'll keep thinking about that too. But if you want to know who joins you so against the Sienese, look hard at me. That way, my face can also answer rightly, and see that I'm the shade of that Capocchio, whose alchemy could counterfeit fine metals. And you, if I correctly take your measure, recall how apt I was at aping nature. Okay, and that's the very end of Canto 29. So, okay, so what's the problem with alchemy, then? What does Dante emphasize here? about alchemy. Alchemy is a big subject. Right? Alchemy is a huge subject. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of different things to think about with alchemy. There's a lot of different kind of goals and things um, that uh, are happening, you know, in, um, um, in, in Dante. Exactly, Serena. It was... Uh, it wasn't primarily seen as a as a as a non-Christian occult thing yet in Dante's time. Yes, you're right, exactly. Um, uh, okay. Um, yes, exactly. Now Michael points out that it fakes God's creation, right? You you recall how apt I was at aping nature, aping nature. Um, uh, aping that means to imitate but it with an edge right to imitate crudely and almost in a spirit of mockery right usually is what that uh, word aping usually means um, he is imitating nature right which is a super interesting thing to say again in the context of this because who else imitates nature who imitates nature who is most famous for imitating nature yes Tomas exactly artists are most famous for imitating nature um, that's what art does it imitates nature um, and uh um, and that's fine. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Probably most of the time, depending on how you do it and why. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, artists imitate nature. Now, alchemists imitate nature differently than artists, right? Um, yeah, good, Michael. I agree. There's a, there's a, an element of fraud lacking in artistry generally, right? As Michael says, artists generally don't pawn off their art as the real thing. Um, yeah, exactly. Just what Tony was saying uh, as well. Um, 
Exactly. It doesn't try, uh, claim to be the real thing. Alchemy is trying to is trying to do it as uh, um, as Serena was explaining. Um, if it didn't work fully, alchemy, it could still create substances that could be passed off as precious metals, um, thus serving the same purpose as counterfeiting. Right. So yes, like the goal to. Um, even if in theory you could make it work, right? So you could actually generate gold. You are... You're doing one of, um, one of several different things. So, um, uh, Lorehouse on Twitch, um, no, these, this is, it's not this, this is, these are not con artists, right? Alchemists are not, alchem alchemists are scientists, sort of. Um, uh, that is, they were they were trying to discover actual processes. Um, but again, the goal of it, forget about it not working, right? Let's assume you could make it work. Let's assume you could do the thing, right? Um, and generate gold, generate metals. Like, what's worse? Not succeeding or succeeding, right? I mean, okay, okay if you succeed, uh, you, you know, have made gold and you're rich, right? But, but it's not just, this is not just a process of making. This is not a process of manufacture, right? Except it kind of is a process of manufacture where you are making, but it, it kind of, it kind of, um, it at least blurs the line between making and creating. Right. And everybody remembers the really important distinction between making and creating. Right. To create is to do what God does, to make something from nothing. Right. To 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 bring something into being. Um, making is just taking raw materials and assembling them, even if those raw materials are like abstract. So, you know, when an artist um, uh, does what we in the modern world call an act of creativity, uh, right, and makes up a story or makes up a picture or something like that, they're not making it up out of nothing. They're making it, right, because their own minds and imaginations are the raw materials that are given to them, right? They, they're not, and it's based, you know, it's connected to nature and what they've seen. Um, so, um, so yeah, it's not, um, it's not, there's a, there's, this is, of course, why, you know, as many of you are very familiar, this is why Tolkien used, you know, coined the word um, uh, subcreation, uh, sub because it's, it's, it's the act of artistic invention. Um, it is like the act of creation, but it is subordinate to the act of creation, and it is only possible because we are made in the image of a maker, right? So uh, um, since we are made in the image of God and God is a creator, there is a creative impulse in us, but we don't like God make something out of nothing. That just is not something that we can do. But in a sense, not not totally, right? They're not creating something. An alchemist isn't creating something out of nothing. I mean, there's ingredients involved, right? And yet, you're trying to make gold where there was no gold, right? You're trying to, through a you know a human designed process, you know, which was a scientific process, right? Um, uh, this was this was definitely 13th century science. Um, through that scientific process, you were still 
you were doing, you were not making something in the way that, you know, a carpenter makes a chair. You were making something much more, again, if you succeeded, much more like God speaks something into being, right? So it's, again, if you succeed, it's sketchy. Like, you're, you're trespassing uh, on the domain of God and thus aping nature. In, thus aping in one sense. And thus you would be aping God, right? You would be playing God. And that's not so good. But, but if you don't succeed, it's also not good, right? If you don't make gold, but you might, through your researches, make something that could pass for gold, right? Um, and thus, as Serena was saying, um, the results of alchemical experience, uh, of alchemical experiments ended up making things which made counterfeiting easier, right? And it was closely associated with counterfeiting. Um, you don't make real gold, um, uh, but um, you can make things that are like gold. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay. Oh, Jocelyn, wonderful question. They don't know Homer in the Middle Ages, but they do know Aristotle. At least they have known Aristotle for some time now. Not long, not long. Aristotle burst onto the scene uh, in the 13th century. That seems like a strange thing to say. But again, for the same reason, Jocelyn, they didn't have the Greek, right? But they got a Latin translation, right? They got a Latin translation of Aristotle in the 13th century. And it, that's why Aristotle, remember, he's the philosopher, right? Um, in, in limbo, when we met the philosophers in limbo, Aristotle is the king of the heap of the, of the philosophers in limbo, just as Homer is the sort of theoretical head, uh, of all the poets. Um, uh, Aristotle throughout the middle, you know, well, from the 13th century forward is the philosopher. Whenever you say the philosopher with a capital P, you're referring to Aristotle. And he, like when you refer to the apostle with a capital A, you're referring to Paul, the apostle, right? Similar, like that's the kind of status that um, Aristotle had uh, in the, you know, the later Middle Ages. Because they did have, and they got a Latin translation. So they, they, they had some Plato, not much of Plato, by the way. They had like two and a half uh, dialogues, basically, of Plato. Um, so they didn't have a lot. Like, they didn't have the Republic, for instance. Um, but they had, um, uh, though they knew about the Republic, because they had Cicero's thing. But anyway, don't worry about it. Um, uh, the, the, the thing that Cicero did in, on that imitation, that's uh, uh, not quite doing Cicero justice, but... Um, uh, when Cicero did his Latin version, basically, they had that. Um, anyway, anyway, yes, exactly, Lorehouse. Or the bard is Shakespeare. Yes, exactly. Um, that's exactly it. Um, okay, so... William says, the Arabs didn't save any of the Greeks throughout the Dark Ages. Yeah, exactly. That's where they got Aristotle. They got Aristotle from the Arabs in, in, in uh, the 1300s. Exactly. Um, that's just precisely what happened. Uh, that's why there was the sudden boom in Aristotle studies uh, in uh, the 14th century. And it was, it was cutting-edge stuff, man, um, at that point. It was, uh, it was huge. It was huge. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, okay. So, um, 
Uh, so yes, yeah, Serena, I agree. Some of the other things, you know, Serena's pointing out that some of the, like, the other thing, like the Philosopher's Stone, right, which uh, I'm sure you guys have probably read a book mentioning that at some point. Um, the Philosopher's Stone, uh, yeah, I mean, that there are some even more, like, uh, God playing stuff, right? That happens in uh, more than just the whole precious metals business, um, uh, elements of alchemy. Um, so yes, like it, there's some serious trespassing on the, on the divine domain, uh, involved in alchemy, but again, it mostly doesn't work. Right. So the good news is that nobody really does that. Right. Um, no, you know, no, no one actually proved themselves guilty of being able to either, you know, step into the place of God and do what God did, or basically like redo what God did by transmuting things, right? Actually being able to be like, I'm going to take this thing that God created and I'm just going to make it something else after my own will, right? Um, which again, seriously dubious uh, kind of activity. Um, but f fortunately, nobody could do that. But that meant that everybody who was <laughs> like this dude, right, who was a professional alchemist, was defrauding people, right? Because he couldn't do it, right? Because he actually couldn't do, uh, you know, what he said he could do. Like his claim about flying, right? Oh, yeah. Pff, make people fly? I can totally do that, he says. And then he's like, but, and then this guy got furiously mad at me and burned me at the stake because I couldn't. And of course, there's a reason why I got burned at the stake, <laughs> right? I, I get like it's he was condemned. Uh, apparently condemned as a heretic, um, as is not shocking under the circumstances. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. So, um, an alchemist generally who is, uh, a professional alchemist is in fact swindling people. Or again, if there is any measure of success in their exper experiments, um, that measure of success is involved in creating metals that are easier to pass as precious metals um, and therefore debasing currency. And, and, and we just go straight into counterfeiting uh, from there. So the connection with fraud um, seems relatively interesting. Uh, Jocelyn says, would he have been called a witch? I mean, would anybody have called him that? Maybe. But keep in mind, this is something that a lot of people don't know. Um, we don't do witchcraft much in the Middle Ages. I mean, it's not like it's unknown, but that wasn't the thing. Um, witchcraft and the burning of witches has been read back into the Middle Ages through the Renaissance. In the Renaissance, we love burning witches, right? Um, you got to go to the early modern period, as they like to call it, in order to really find people uh, who are obsessed with witchcraft and finding and burning witches. We're pretty chill about that kind of thing in the Middle Ages. It's not like we're not aware that there might be some witches around, right? But that's, it's really not a big thing uh, in the Middle Ages at all. Um, nothing like, uh, uh, nothing like the Renaissance. Um, now, William, I'm not saying uh, uh, I'm very much not saying that nobody in the Middle Ages was either uh, made of wood uh, or weighed the same as a duck. I'm just saying that, you know, we didn't go looking for it. You know, very few people actually would set up a giant set of scales uh, in their in their villages in order to ascertain this fact. Right. Um, generally not um, in. Uh, 
uh, not in the Middle Ages. Again, that's just that wasn't that wasn't that wasn't their thing. Um, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so but but the, I'm, I'm glad you asked that question because again, it's a very very common misconception, um, and it's interesting. You know, it's as a medievalist, I find it really interesting because. Um, It's a, a misconception whose popularity really betrays the kind of chronological snobbery that is absolutely endemic in our society. Um, you know, the assumption that the further back you go, the more crude and horrible and primitive people were. Um, that's a very, very deeply ingrained concept uh, in our uh, society. And so it, you you see, like... People in the Middle Ages, that was longer ago, right? And those people were obviously much cruder uh, and crueler and, uh, and, and uh, you know, more wrongheaded than the people who came after them. Uh, so, you know, we, 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 you've heard stories <clears throat> about witch hunts and things like that. And, uh, and you may even have heard some of that stuff happening in the Renaissance. So a lot of people, I don't know, it's just like, it's like an assumption. Like, it must have been even worse in the Middle Ages. It wasn't. It wasn't. Um, that was not their thing. Um, um, yeah, Stephen, we do tend to think of them as more superstitious, too. And I am not at all convinced that that was the case. I'm not saying there was no superstition. Um, but I'm not convinced that they were more superstitious than the early modern folks. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, it, the, the idea that, um, you know, witch hunts and, uh, uh, and, you know, the burning of witches at the stake only became popular in the modern era is, like a mind-blowingly incomprehensible concept uh, to many people. But it's totally true. Anyway, okay. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. You're right, Serena. Necromancy. Now that is something they could potentially uh, have accused people of. Um, um, yeah, okay. Anyway, so where are we? Here's my question. Why is this dude scratching himself? What's with the scabs? What's is do, do we perceive a link between the pattern of the punishment and the pattern? If these are alchemists we're seeing here, who are remember they're all lying around and propped up against each other and um, and scratching, scratching and scratching at their skin complaints and. Um, peeling off their scabs like uh, like you're scaling a carp, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Serena, I do think that he's... Um, on the one hand, this whole... There's something about the surface of their skin, right? Like it's, it's, um, the, the action of scratching, right? They're always scraping off this outer level, right? To try to, you know, to try to stop the itch, right? To try to get, but like they, they can't, it's like they're always peeling things away to try to get at what's beneath, like you're scaling a carp, right? You remove the outer layer and, you know, reveal the fish underneath, right? Um, uh, 
this maps onto the whole counterfeiting kind of thing, right? Um, the whole like fake, fake layer of metal on top of other things. Um, um, it's not, it's not, it's not real, right? There's something, uh, there's some way in which it, it seems like that maps too. Now, Serena, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, there is, um, uh, some, I think some specific, uh, reference to, uh, um, alchemy in here as well. Um, uh, she's pointing out there's a, there's a scaly stage, uh, of the magnum opus, uh, which is, uh, uh, which is the, the sort of the, the major alchemical process. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, but anyway, th this, once again, one of the things that I'm seeing with the scratching and the, and the scales and stuff is a, this like, the interior and the exterior, right? The superficial layer, the 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 the, the fact that it's about the skin, right? Um, and they are constantly scraping, um, trying to scrape away the surface, almost like they're trying to reveal what's underneath. Maybe I'm being influenced by the scene that I, you know, confess to not being able to help thinking about uh, when I was reading about that, which was which was Eustace and his dragon suit, right? Um, uh, not that that is, you know, of interpretive significance necessarily, but, um, but again, that, that, that kind of image of like, it's like they're trying to scratch away this surface of themselves. And this is, but it's the surface that has been revealed, right? It's like, uh, I, again, there's something about, I don't know whether it's them trying to, to hide what is, what is, you know, like to, 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 to dispose of, uh, that the skin, the, you know, the the, the scabs that, that encase them, um, or whether they're doomed to always try to sort of reveal what's underneath. I don't know. Um, but that seems to me very much connected with this idea of aping nature, right. Of like changing, uh, attempting to change the reality and only in the end kind of changing the, uh, um, the surface of things uh, in that sense. And yeah, as Serena, as you say, trying to get rid of their corruption, which they think is only superficial, um, but it's really all the way down. Um, yeah, I mean, they just keep scratching and scratching and scratching. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, their whole nature is base inside and out, and they can't, they can't change that. Um, yeah, base, base, they are a base metal, right? Um, uh, not a precious metal to continue that alchemy talk, but all right. Okay. So alchemists, alchemists are in the last circle. Um, okay. But now we start the next canto. And as usual, we rev up at the beginning of a canto, right? And, uh, he's not even pretending he's claiming his talents at this point, right? When Juno was incensed with Semele, and thus against the Theban family had shown her fury time and time again, then Athamas was driven so insane that, seeing both his wife and their two sons, as she bore one upon each arm, he cried, Let's spread the nets to take the lioness together with her cubs along the pass. And he stretched out his talons, pitiless, and snatched the son who bore the name Learchus, whirled him around and dashed him on a rock. She, with her other burden, drowned herself. Now, this um, sounds like one of those epic similes that he's launching into again, right? Except, do you notice what happened? Notice what happened? 
We, we ran out of sentence. What does he do here in this passage, these first 12 lines? Nothing. He just tells the story, right? It's not like just as when Juno was incensed, right? No. When Juno was incensed with Semele, then Athamas did this, and then he did that, and then he did that, and then she did that. The end. <laughs> the unhappy end of this poor family in Thebes, afflicted by Juno, who is incensed with Semele. Semele, you may remember, is one of the many women that uh, uh, Zeus had sex with. Semele was the one, if you don't, just in case you don't remember, um, who gets whom Juno cons into telling, uh, making Jupiter promise to uh, to come to her in his full glory and fries her to a crisp uh, when he does that. Um, okay, so he just describes the murder of this family. What trends do we see here? Well, um, we've got Juno being angry. Um, her fury time and time again. We've got Athamas being driven insane and killing his own child which he's apparently mistaking for a lion cub at the time. And then his wife drowns herself and their other son. Okay, where are we going with this, Dante? We'll keep going. And after fortune turned against the pride of Troy, which, dared, which had dared all, so that the king together with his kingdom was destroyed, then Hecuba was wretched, sad, a captive. And after she had seen Polyxena dead and in misery had recognized her Polydorus lying on the shore, she barked out of her senses like a dog. Her agony had so deformed her mind. Okay. And now the story of Hecuba. Wait, where, where are we going with this? I don't remember Dante ever doing this yet in Inferno. Um... It's not that we haven't had reasonably long asides, you know, which uh, told classical stories. That we've done many times. But I don't remember asides which just told classical stories, right? Now, it's finally going to come relevant again. And I don't remember which line number because I seem to have forgotten to put the line numbers here. But they follow right after the next one. So let's see what what we've got. Uh, 15, 18, uh, uh, 21. Okay, so we're, we, we're, we're about um, 22 lines in now to the canto. And then finally, but neither fury, Theban, Trojan, ever was seen to be so cruel against another in rending beasts and even human limbs. As were two shades I saw, both pale and naked, who, biting, ran berserk in just the way a hog, a hog does when it's let loose from its sty. Okay, so in the end, this is, in fact, context, right, for the description of these two shades. Who, biting, ran berserk in just the way a hog does when it's let loose. So we end up with a rather mundane simile, right? 
they were just like hogs when you let hogs loose. Which, admittedly, would probably be more evocative had I ever seen hogs let loose. But um, I'm sure I can imagine. I've seen hogs, so I can imagine that they probably run very berserk indeed. Um, But... Okay, but Hecuba and Athema. So, okay, Um, neither Fury, Theban, Trojan, ever was seen to be so cruel against another in rending beasts and even human limbs. In rending beasts? Were any beasts rent in the making of those first 18 lines? Those first 21 lines? I don't remember the rending of any beasts. I mean, people were rent and accused of being beasts, right? Um, I'm not saying there was no harm done, but, um, um, yeah. Uh, Stephen, that is a wonderful connection. Uh, Stephen says, thinking of pigs in madness, uh, they probably run even more berserk when demons are cast into them. Yes. Yes, they would, Stephen, wouldn't they? Um, Stephen, of course, is remembering the famous story from the Gospels uh, in which Jesus meets the man who is afflicted by a legion of demons, uh, has a, an indeterminate number of demons um, uh, sort of living within him and tormenting him, uh, and Jesus has a little conversation with the demons um, uh, and uh, says that they really need to leave, and they say, Please don't just cast us out. Uh, send us into the pigs. And so Jesus sends them into a herd of pigs and they go um, running berserk. Um, and they go charging down the hill and fling themselves into the Sea of Galilee and drown. Um, yes. Yes. Okay. So I agree, Stephen. I do think that that's uh, a very relevant uh, connection here. Um So let's do the work. I want to start off by emphasizing Dante doesn't do this work. The work of explaining how these stories are relevant, right? He just tells the stories. Tells one story, tells another story, without even much transition. And after fortune turned against the pride of Troy. Okay, and now I'm going to tell you a little story from the fall of Troy. And it's about Hecuba, the queen, right? Who, after she, after the fall of Troy and she's taken captive, um, she sees her daughter uh, uh, Polyxena killed. Um, she sees her son Polydorus dead. Um, and then she goes out of her senses, barking like a dog. Her agony had so transformed her mind. What do these things have in common? What do these things have in common? Yeah, by the way, Serena, I agree. I've always wondered what the demons gained um, by their temporary abode in the pigs. Um, And... um, uh, 
was it a did they accomplish what they were trying to accomplish or was this a result of um um poor long-term you know poor long-term planning on the part of the demons i've never fully understood that myself either um but anyway dante leaves us to do the work here this functions like a simile except you know it's not technically a simile but we're grown-ups now right uh, uh we've been doing this for a while that is reading dante's poetry so uh we're prepared right it's time to move on to the advanced course so we should do the work allegory is all about that anyway right it's all about the work that you do as a reader so he tells us this story the juno in thebes story and then he tells us that troy and hecuba story and then he mentions these two shades who run berserk like hogs discuss right what do we see what patterns do we see grief kit yes definitely grief though not in the same way right the wife right is grieved the wife's suicide presumably is linked to grief so like desperate grief and the death of children right we definitely see that there the connection between the two mothers right what else driven mad by the works of the gods tony yes yes uh, the, the central emphasis on juno's being incest with semele right and the fury that she shows against the Theban family. And you'll notice how that word, and I think this is true in the Italian as well, is picked up again, but neither fury, Theban Trojan, right? So that, that concept of, of infuriation um, there. Animal stuff, Michael, yes. Loss of reason, Devora. yes. Um, uh, yes, animality, dehumanization, exactly. Notice that... Um, uh, Athamas here. I think I called him Amathus before. Athamas here. Um, he not only mistakes his wife and sons for lions, right? He himself noticed the, the imagery there. He stretched out his talons, pitiless. He himself, um, it's like he has claws, Right. So there is this bestial maneuver that he on the one hand, his his reason is clouded. Right. Um, he's driven insane. So that he is perceiving things. He thinks he's still acting from a human perspective. He thinks that he is the human one acting against animals. Let's spread the nets. He's acting like a human hunter. Like a, a, a wise human hunter might do if, say, a lioness were, you know, uh, patrolling the fields where you had your herds. You might spread the nets, right? Set a trap um, uh, to take the lioness together with her cubs along the pass. So he's not, he doesn't think he's acting like a beast. He thinks he's acting like a human, acting against beasts. But it turns out, of course, he is the one acting like a beast, as we see from his talons, uh, that he reaches and snatches uh, his son Laarchus uh, and dashes his poor son against a rock, and then his wife kills herself, 
right? With Hecuba, she is transformed. Not she is not infuriated by the gods directly in the way that uh, Athamas was, um, but she is her misery, right? Um, drives her out of her senses. Her grief, there, Kit directly, right? Drives her out of her senses, and once and even more explicitly, she now begins acting like a beast. She loses touch with her humanity. Um, there's, of course, more than one sense, right, in which Athamas is losing touch with his humanity, um, both in the sense that he is pers- he is no longer acting like a human, and he's also lost touch with the fact that the humans in front of him, in fact, the dear and beloved humans in front of him, are humans, right? And he mistakes them for animals. Um, so this sort of the degradation of human reason into bestial action as a result of an intervention, uh, either the direct or indirect result of interventions by the gods. Neither fury ever was seen to be so cruel against another in rending beasts and even human limbs as were two shades I saw. So back to Hecuba. It's interesting because the, the cruelty emphasized are the acts of cruelty against her, right? of which she has been the victim, against her family, right? She saw Polixena, her daughter, dead. She recognized the body of her son Polydorus lying dead on the shore, right? So she sees these acts of violence against her own children, right? Two of her very many children. Um, and, uh, um, and this drives her out of her mind but then she herself becomes infuriated, right? She is now out of her senses, uh, barking like a dog, her own mind deformed by her agony, so that now she becomes cruel like a dog. She starts seeking to rend and tear people um, as a dog. Um, okay. Um Interesting. Yeah, Tony is saying, I wonder if there is a sense of debasement, like the opposite of the goal of, in alchemy, of making base things precious. Yes, Tony, I do think that you're onto something there. Um, I think that there is definitely a connection between those things, that what we're seeing here is something almost like, the, at least the result is almost like the opposite of the goals of alchemy. Now, of course, Tony, you could say, as we were suggesting before, um, the um, the alchemists themselves are also ironically reversed as well. It's not like they were precious, whereas these are debased. Um, but um, uh, but anyway, so these two that he sees are like those, except worse. Like Hecuba and Athamas, except worse, more berserk, um, more furious, right? And yes, um, who was that? Jocelyn, yes, you were right um, to connect, of course, the word fury here, not just with the concept of anger, right, but with the furies themselves, right? To be infuriated is to be inspired with this madness by the Furies, right? Um, and again, both of them 
both Athamas and Hecuba have been in this way infuriated. They have been driven to this, as Tony said. It's about the gods driving people mad uh, in some ways, right? Um, okay, so, but now that we've met them, let's see what these, what these two do. The one came at Kapakio, our alchemist that we were just talking to, and sank his tusks into his neck, so that by dragging he made the hard ground scrape against his belly. And he who stayed behind, the Aratine, trembled and said, That phantom's Gianni... Gianni Skiki? 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 I'm going to go with Skiki, because it's fun to say. And he goes, raging, rending others so. And, oh, I said to him, so may the other not sink its teeth in you. Please tell me who it is before it hurries off from here. And he to me. That is the ancient soul of the indecent Murrah. She who loved her father passed the limits of just love. She came to sin with him by falsely taking another shape upon herself, just as the other phantom who goes there had done, that he might gain the lady of the herd when he disguised himself as Buoso Donati, making a will as if most properly. Okay. Um, ah, Skiki is right? Excellent. Um, okay, okay. So, Arthur, this is the fun thing. Yes, Murrah is guilty of incest. So Murrah's story is told in Ovid's Metamorphoses. Uh, Murrah falls in love with her, with her father. Um, and she deceives her father um, by... Uh, she like goes to him in the night pretending to be somebody else. And, you know, her dad is like, oh, okay. Uh, and then, you know, she finally fesses up and is like, dad, it's me. And he's like, what? And it's awful. And everybody dies. Uh, and is transformed. Um, so... Um, yeah, anyway, so that's the Murrah story. So, yeah, Arthur, I, I, I'm with you uh, saying, like, okay, um, incest. Incest. Is that supposed to be connected to alchemy in some way? Except, no. No. No, no, no. No. Murrah is not here for committing incest. She's here for falsely taking another shape upon herself, we're told. It was the dressing up. It was the fakery, right? So like all of those people in Shakespeare plays who have sex with people in the dark because you can't, no person is capable. Just like the rule goes, remember in Maori, that when somebody is wearing armor, you can, it's impossible to tell who they are, right? So like you're in absolute and perfect disguise as long as you're wearing armor until you... You know, until you uh, you 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 do up your visor. Um, similarly, in Shakespeare, right? If it's dark in the room, like it's it's not possible to tell the difference between one woman and another in the dark, right? No one has ever successfully done that. Uh, so, um, uh, so yeah, that apparently apparently everybody uh, whoever pulled the bed swapping trick, which is a significant cast of folks in Shakespeare is apparently going here too. Right? Because it's the... Does this mean it's worse than an incest? I, I, I don't know, but she's here. 
she's here. She got sent here. Um, <laughs> yeah, Arthur says, can you say Rachel and Leah? I was going to bring up Leah there, <laughs> Arthur, but, you know, uh, whew. yeah, yeah, um, uh, something like that. Yeah, so no, Stephen, she just pretends to be somebody else. She, I don't, in, in Ovid anyway, she doesn't change her, I don't think she changes her form, does she? Am I misremembering that? I don't think she actually transforms herself. I mean, she gets transformed into a tree eventually. Um, but, um, uh, but yeah, I don't think she, um, uh, yeah, <laughs> David, you're right. You're right. Jacob himself too, right? You're thinking not of the uh, bed swapping trip, but the whole uh, arm hair swapping trick, right? Um, yeah. Taking another shape upon yourself, right? Um, the hands are the hands of Esau. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hard to argue. I mean, he doesn't end up down here. But I hear you. I hear you. Okay. I'm going to not think about why falsely taking another shape upon herself seems to override incest, Right? Because we have no data on that here. I mean, I I have no idea. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Stephen, I agree. Stephen says, in fairness, pretty much all the saints would be down here in some way or another, if not for grace. True enough. True enough. Um um, oh yeah, Arthur Lot's daughters. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Same trick. Well, different trick. It involved booze, but still, uh, similar trick. Um, okay, okay. Um, uh, Zach, no, oh, we didn't. I, I don't think we've had any reference to incest, have we? Any? I mean, lust, yes, but lust. The circle of lust was all about, remember, it was all about reason and appetite, right? It was all about people who, um, you know, indulge their appetite at the expense of their reason. Um, it wasn't, you know, as we discussed at the time, um, not, I didn't emphasize this there quite as much as I did when we got to the sodomy bits, uh, but it was, um, uh, there's, there's not much emphasis on actual illicit sexual acts, in the circle of lust. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Laura has says Uther Pendragon is on his way here. Yeah, Serena was alluding to that as well. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Leanne says Lot's daughters used beer goggles to disguise themselves. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's the, that's, that's, that's kind of the way it worked. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, but okay. So again, I'm leaving the incest thing because I have no idea. Um, but I, she came to sin with him by falsely taking another shape. And Buoso Donati disguised himself also that he might gain the lady of the herd, which is a fascinating comparison. Uh, the herd of hogs I guess. So he's running berserk like a hog. Um, uh, so we're going to... I'm not going to touch that. I I have no idea. Um, uh, 
I don't know enough about Buoso Donati's life uh, to be able to uh, contextualize the Lady of the Herd comment, but, um, uh, but okay. The hog-like sin, the hog-like sin is falsely taking, it comes from falsely taking another shape upon oneself. So hang on, let's reel it back, back to Athamas and Hecuba and our berserk hogs, right? If you falsely take another shape upon yourself, you will be more furious than Hecuba, who was like a dog, And I don't think... I'm pretty sure I haven't skipped any lines here. What I'm trying to figure out... Are they in human shape? They seem to actually have tusks. There are tusks involved. Sinking his tusks into Kapakio's neck there. Um... Yeah. Yeah. Um. Oh, I'm sorry, Michael. You are absolutely right. Here I am slandering Boelso Donati. Um, no, he was the one who was that other dude. The other hoggish dude disguised himself as Boelso Donati. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Okay. Sorry. My apologies. Right. Okay. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Thus, our Arthur concludes that they must be Tuscans. Uh-huh. Right. I get it. I get it. Um, good. Right. Yeah. So your translation says teeth, uh, Devorah. Um, yes. Yes. Um, I wonder. I wonder which word for teeth. I wish I knew more about the, uh, uh, the connotations of the Italian word there. Um, because it's not clear, like the, the hogs, it's that's a that's explicitly a simile, right? Um, who biting ran berserk in just the way a hog does when it's let loose from its sty. So they're running berserk like hogs run berserk, but it doesn't mean they actually have the physical shape of hogs, even though he seems to be playing on that. Again, if the Tusk translation is to be trusted at all, right? Um, that's a really interesting theory, Stephen. Stephen says, by pretending to be someone else, they're in a, they are in a sense abandoned, abandoned themselves. Is this a reversal of the suicides? The latter, the suicides, are refused their bodies, um, while these folks are now refused their minds? Maybe. Maybe, again, notice with, uh, not on the right page, with Athamas here. Um, what we see with Athamas is a disjunction, right? A disjunction between, um, a disjunction between re reality and, um, uh, between reality and what he 
sees what he thinks is there, right? Um, Stephen, I mean, I'm kind of coming back to your um, your point about them being refused their minds, right? Again, he thinks he's using his mind, but he's not using his mind, right? Um, and so if this is like the state that they end up in, those who disguise themselves as others, right, um, who commit that particular kind of, uh, uh, kind of fraud. Um, whoa. Devorah, your translation calls Skiki a hellhound? Where does it call Skiki? That phantom's Johnny Skiki, and he goes raging, rending others so? Um, line 32. Like, right at the beginning, when he introduces him? And he's just like, he just calls him a hellhound? Out of nowhere? Blame Dorothy Sayers? Okay. Well, you know, look, I'm not going to go dissing on Dorothy Sayers' translation. Like, if, if Dorothy Sayers is comparing him to a hound, the hell part can't really be disputed, right? Like, that part's objective, I think. Uh, but if, uh, if, uh, if, if Dorothy Sayers is going to... Um, okay, so it says, that's Gianni Skiki, that hellhound there. Huh. Huh. Fascinating. Fascinating. Okay. Well, look. Um, uh, yeah. Dorothy Sayers knows so much more than I do. I am not going to critique. Um, in defense, we've already had the dog thing, right? Um, uh, dogs and ha hogs, right? Um, with Hecuba, right? We already had the dog thing introduced. Um what do we get? Lions and something with talons in uh, the Athamas business. And then we got dogs with the Hecuba business. Um, and now we get hogs and hounds as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, hmm. Uh, Stephen, it's, it's, it's that word phantom. Right. That's the that's the key word. Phantom is the word that she's translating hellhound. Huh? Interesting. Interesting. Um, Folletto. Fascinating. No idea. No idea. Um, Sarah. Good. Sarah Duncan says... They're fraudulent. The fraud that they're committing, the falsely taking another shape, is not only for their own benefit, but it's also bringing others to sin, right? Mira brings her father to commit incest unknowingly, right? Um, through her fraud, right? Through her, her, through her fakery. Um, and... Uh, the other dude, right, hog hellhound dude number two, um, disguises himself as the comparatively innocent Buoso Donati, um, uh, making a will as if most properly, right, in order to gain the lady of the herd. So once again, there seems to be sexual sin uh, that is being brought about, um, of which the lady of the herd is being made guilty, and again, presumably, um, 
without even her knowledge or understanding. And so Sarah's pointing out that uh, we have, just as we have the um, kind of mentally transformed people, um, the me- mentally transformed Athamas attacking and killing his own family. Um, and as Sarah points out, we don't really know what uh, the dog-transformed Hecuba was going to go on to do next, um, but it didn't sound nonviolent. Um uh yeah yeah um yeah so i agree that and that comes back down again to this concept sarah of not just kind of doing something fraudulent right or being fraud but the concept of defrauding somebody right um doing harm to others uh and by and like you know, for your own benefit, and to the debt and to the harm of others, right? Um, through your acts, which again I think has been fairly consistent. There are I think there are very few counterexamples in all of the Malabolgia, um of fraud. But okay, it's getting late. Let's move on from this. Um, but we'll keep this. This was this whole constellation of things with uh, the two stories and then launching into this was such a fascinating um, uh, move by Dante. But I don't want to get totally overwhelmed by it. Um, But let's keep this in mind. So we've got these folks who falsely take another shape and we've got the alchemists, right? So um, there we go. Oh, and then we meet another guy. I skipped one. Um, well, I'm skipping one over here. The guy that he's talking to right here is the guy, there's the dropsy guy, right? The guy's body's all like disgustingly swollen up. Um, and we're told, he admits, and again, I skipped this bit, but he admits that he was a counterfeiter, right? He was a, was a fraudulent coiner. Um, so that's yet a third variety here, right? And Dante is asking him, the counterfeiter, Right, is asking the counterfeiter about um, these other two folks. Right, and I to him, who are those two poor sinners who give off smoke like wet hands in the winter and lie so close to you upon the right? Like wet hands in winter. What an interesting simile that is. Um, so they're just <laughs> smoking. This is, the, this is the smoking section of the tenth pouch, I guess. Right? They're just like steaming. Um, okay. I found them here, he answered. When I rained down to this rocky slope, they've not stirred since and will not move, I think, eternally. Uh, some irony there. One is the lying woman who blamed Joseph. The other lying Sinon, Greek from Troy. Because of raging fever, they reek so. The lying woman who blamed Joseph. This, of course, a Genesis reference, right? To the latter parts of Genesis when uh, Joseph is sold into slavery in Egypt and is taken as a servant into the house of Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife lyingly blames Joseph, right? She accuses, she attempts to seduce him when he says no. Uh, she accuses him of attempting to rape her uh, falsely, and he gets thrown into prison um, 
there. So right. So we got Potiphar's wife, and the other lying Sinon, Greek from Troy. Now this is a very famous dude, and it's another Aeneid quiz. Um, uh, you guys asked me before: Is the story of the like the Trojan horse and stuff is like the fall of Troy described in the Aeneid? Yes, um, and a great deal of time is spent on the the transition on the Trojan horse and the bringing of the Trojan horses. Sinon is a character of Virgil's. Um, Sinon is the liar. He's the guy who convinces the Trojans to take the Trojan horse in. He's a Greek, um, and he's playing a part. And so he pretends to be um, uh, like a victim of the Greeks, like the Greeks have turned on him, and he's um, he's... The cunning of Sinon, the cunning of the Greeks, the cunning of Ulysses uh, and the Greeks and of Sinon, is that the role that he plays, he pretends that he's barely escaped with his life from the Greeks and that he's betraying them to the Trojans, right? And like the one thing that the Greeks desperately don't want the Trojans to know is that if they take this horse into their city, then their city will never fall, right? Um, so... He's there to, like, spill the beans and betray the Greeks. And, of course, it's all a lie, right? He's, in fact, betraying them. Um, and uh, his, his lie is what convinces them, in part, what convinces them uh, to take the Trojan horse into Troy and brings about the fall of uh, Troy. So Sinon was one of the most famous liars, famous and successful liars, uh, in the classical tradition. Um, Gerald says, so Sinon is slightly worse than Ulysses? No, slightly less bad, right? And he's actually compared to Ulysses, and he's like, he is only just barely less deceitful even than Ulysses, is kind of how he's described, as I recall, in the poem. Um, but um, anyway, yeah, so Sinon um, is, uh, again, a very, very famous liar, as is, of course, Potiphar's wife, who lied in her accusation of Joseph. Now, so liars? Those are the... Who do you want to send it? <laughs> what? <laughs> Siri, I wasn't talking to you. Um, so, uh... <laughs> oh, oi. Um... Exactly, Jocelyn. Sinon's lie was part of Odysseus's plan. He was recruited by Odysseus. Exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. Uh, but in hell terms, Gerald, yeah, he's... I, I'm not 100% convinced that it exactly works like that. You know, are people in the 10th pouch just a little bit worse than people in the 8th pouch? Maybe. But I'm not really convinced that that's the case. I'm really not. Um, that there's a, like an obvious grade between them. Now, are the people in the ninth circle worse off, you know, worse than the folks in the eighth circle? Yes. Um, but are people in circle, you know, in pouch number seven worse than the people in pouch number four? I, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, yes, Devora, I agree. Reek means to emit smoke or vapor. Yes, exactly. Which is what he's describing there. Um, that's why they reek so. Um, is he also suggesting that they smell very, very bad? Yes, that's why reeking things smell very bad. Um, usually when things are, you know, emitting, uh, you know, smoke like that, it's often not good. Um, but um, 
Yeah. Michael, I agree. It's an interesting point. Michael says worse is an interesting term. I mean, it's all worse in a way, right? I mean, uh, is any one in circles two through nine really worse or better off than other people? I mean, there are some places, Michael, where we're clearly shown grades, right? Like, remember in the seventh circle, the folks who were in the burning river up to their ankles and the folks up to their, you know, belly buttons and the folks up to their noses, right? So um, that and that we were told correlated with the severity of their of their sins. So um, there do seem to be some gradations of particular punishments. But do the gradations work in that way? Um, I mean, 100% of the people from the second through the ninth circle are all in eternal torment and damnation, forever separated from God, right? So, um, you know, it is a little hard to say, like, well, it could be worse, man. Like, you, you could be down in the ninth circle. Like, well, really? Like, worse than... Um, Worse than they have it. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, now, Stephen, I, but, but I do agree. I mean, the, Michael, your point is extremely well taken, and I think it, it, it would be easy to kind of lose sight of that, you know, in trying to rank things. Um, but I do agree with Stephen that there does seem to be um, a kind of hierarchy, well, a kind of lowerarchy here in hell, right? Um, that it does definitely seem that the ninth circle, the sins of the ninth circle are the, the very worst sins, right? And so that there is a hierarchy there. Um, but Michael, I do agree that it, you get into funny and odd kind of territory as soon as you start, you know, saying, oh, well, you know, but this was, um, um, these damned sinners have it worse than these other damned sinners. Um, exactly, Michael, as you say, it's all inescapable and eternal, uh, and so therefore all bad. But anyway, okay. Um, why? So liars now. Liars too. So alchemists and counterfeiters and... People who dress up like other people, especially to have sex with them, and not the other people. Dress up as... never, You know what I mean. <laughs> and liars. I guess. Right? And by the way, remember when we were talking about bearing false witness before? Right? With like Mr. Stealing from Churches uh, up, in, up with the snakes? Right? There's a reason why I was hedging up there and a little resistant to that reading. Um, if anybody in hell that we meet, if anyone in the Eighth Circle can be accused of bearing false witness, it's got to be Potiphar's wife, right? I mean, Potiphar's wife is like the, the, you know, patron saint of bearing false witness, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and I agree, Stephen, even those in limbo have it bad enough. Anyway, um, so what's the tenth circle? Potpourri? Miscellaneous fraud? <laughs> Miscellaneous fraudulent acts, right? Um, what's the. Now, I've, again, 
what I'm pushing for here is more than normally gets put into maps of hell that get put into the beginning of editions, you know, into the into the first pages of editions of, of, of the Inferno, right? Where traditionally this pouch is labeled the pouch of the falsifiers, usually, right? Um, but, um, sure, but, yeah, aren't they, aren't, aren't they all? Um, uh, falsifier that kind of would describe almost all of the fraudulent in one way or another, wouldn't it? Right? So, um, yeah, exactly, Devorah. Isn't the entire circle of fraud the circle of the falsifiers? It sure is. It sure is. Um, it sure is. So, is there, so once again, I find myself wanting to find patterns here among the fraudulent to try to understand. And I feel in the bigger picture, right? In the bigger picture, we can see the, um, we can see the, 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 the pattern of defrauding, right? Um, the way in which these people falsify various things, right, in order to defraud others. Um, as you were pointing out, Sarah, I think, um, yes, uh, Sarah, as you were pointing out with Murrah uh, and uh, the other dude, not only, um, not only just committing fraud, like lying to somebody for your own benefit, right? Um, but damaging others, right? Defrauding somebody else, taking something that belongs to them, um, you know, deceiving them, damaging somebody else for your own gain, whether it's the seducers and pimps uh, in the first circle, uh, the diviners who are presumably swindling folks, the people who take bribes, um, all of these folks are doing damage to other people, Um uh, again, it's not just it's not just a like it's important to tell the truth, right? You should not misrepresent things. You shouldn't commit fraud in that way, but you should not defraud others, right? It's it's an act. Remember, it's parallel to violence. Um, you've got and it's a subset of malice, malice against others, right? Now, something like flattery might not seem like an act of malice, necessarily, right? I mean, you flatter somebody, you're being nice to them, aren't you? Um, uh, but no, it's but it's classed with malice, and I can see why, I think. You know, I, I think that we can see the pattern there. Um, you are deceiving someone, and by deceiving them, you are harming them, um, trying to benefit yourself, but you're also harming uh, them and others, right? Um through your uh, through your fraudulent actions, but why here? What? Why this circle? Why this group of folks, alchemists? What do they all have in common? They're all lumped together. They're all. What's the theme of their punishments? What do their punishments have in common? The scab folks. The hog folks, hog slash hellhound folks, um, the reeking folks, 
the dropsy guy who looks like a loot, except he looks like a loot with genitals. <laughs> he, he would look exactly like a loot if you cut off his genitals, apparently. Right. <laughs> Thanks for that image. Um, uh, okay. What, what's the pattern? Well, remember our introduction was the smell. It smelled as bad as like all of the hospitals put together in one place, right? Like all of the, all of the leper hospitals all in one place. Um, yeah. Illness, Stephen, illness, infirmity of body, um, corruption of body, right? And not just I mean, things are happening to people's bodies all over the place, all over hell, right? Um, but, um, uh, but especially in the Malabolgia, um, there seemed to be an emphasis on the, very frequently, on the forms of people. But they're not just being transformed like the snake folks were, or split and um, cut open uh, like the schismatics were. They're malady, illness is the, from the beginning, right? From the hospital imagery at the beginning and the hospital smell, um, to the, um, uh, to the, you, you know, the scab folks and them lying around like they're sick, um, to the madness, right? Um, of, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, 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 the madness and disjunction from like the human perspective, that we see in the uh, the Mad Hog hell Hellhound folks, um, to these two, to the dropsy guy, right, whose body is distorted like somebody who has dropsy, which means like as he describes very clearly, enormously swollen with retained water. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I want to say, I don't know if this is quite right, but I want to say that sort of the larger trend there is corruption. Corruption. In a more, fit, like, like rot, basically. Um, in the way in which, like, these, the disease, the, 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 the bodies afflicted as with disease, skin disease, um, other kinds of diseases, even the even the the mental disease, the mental afflictions of Mira and the other dude. Um, there's a there's a loss of integrity, but again, not through. If there's a loss of bodily integrity because of swords in the ninth pouch, right? There's a loss of integrity through like rot through like the, 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 the internal corruption of the body itself. Um, which remember in here, Master Adam, the dropsy dude, is one of the clearest illustrations, right? Um, what is this kind of disease? What is dropsy? Dropsy is very plainly, right? Um, an imbalance of the humors. Way too much of the wet humors, right? Um, when the body is itself internally out of whack, 
and that's what we see in all of these people. Their bodies are out of whack uh, in various ways. Um, and um, and that seems to map on the way in which like to be a fit extension of physicalization of like outward representation of the way in which they have made things out of whack right um whether it was themselves whether it's their words whether it's themselves and their appearances whether it's um <laughs> base metals uh right whether it's fake coins um uh to be trying to change things uh yeah, to alter and misconstrue things, um, or to lead others to misconstrue them, uh, really. Um, yeah. I think that works. The thing I'm struggling with is why Dvorak, I'm kind of coming back to, like, aren't, isn't everybody a falsifier? Um, what is it that binds together the sins of these folks in a way that distinguishes it from the sins of the folks in the other nine pouches? I'm a little bit less confident that I see that very clearly, but I think we can begin to see some patterns here. Okay. Didn't get to Canto 31, but that's okay. We finished the Malabolgia because we're come Right? Do I have... Okay, no, wait. One more. One more. Real quick. Real quick. Um, actually, no. I'm going to save that. Never mind. I'm saving it. I'm saving the transition. Dante getting yelled at, right? We'll start next week when Dante gets yelled at, and then they head to the Ninth Circle. Um, uh, but, um, okay. So, next time, next week, uh, we will transition down to the Ninth Circle again in another interesting way. Um, he, he needs another lift down like he needed a lift down into the eighth circle he'll need a lift down into the ninth circle and then we'll hope after that to begin uh exploring the ninth circle itself four cantos left i think we could do it in two that's what i'm going to shoot for i'm going to shoot for two more sessions i think we got this in 24 that would mean only twice as many sessions as i'd originally planned which is practically on schedule uh so that's excellent um all right um now don't forget I say don't forget, as if I told you this. Maybe I did and maybe I didn't. I can't remember. But I'll, I'll, I'll be here next week, but I'll be away the week after. Um, so there will be, we'll do our next session on the 21st, where we'll start the Ninth Circle, and I will hope that we will finish the Ninth Circle not on the 28th of April. I'll be away then, but um, on the first Wednesday of May, which is, I think, the 5th. Um, so, um, so that's... Uh, that's where we'll be. Uh, that's when we hopefully we'll finish things up on May 5th and then we will transition towards our next book, which is the special inclusion of a moon is a, the moon is a harsh mistress by Robert Heinlein. So, um, uh, we look forward to that. Be getting your copy of Heinlein, uh, and be ready to go. Moon is a harsh mistress. Uh, we'll be starting. I hope to have the, uh, uh, the page up for that soon. Um, yeah. Anyway. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Good night. See you guys next week.